says this. So, for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, speaking of Jesus, that though I was blind, now I see. I love that. They said to him, how did he do it to you? How did he do it to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already and you wouldn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a, of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and, and, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Verse 35, I love this. Jesus heard that they cast this man out. Having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were born blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Let's bow our heads. Let's prepare our hearts this morning for God's word. God, right now we want to come to you with the expectation that you, you deserve, with the respect that you deserve. You are the living Lord, you are sovereign, you are supreme, you are over all things. Everything is under your feet. There is nothing like you. There is nothing beside you. There is nothing above you. You rule and reign all on your own. And we declare that your word is true, authoritative and right and good. May it instruct us today in how we live, how we think, how we move, how we speak. Forgive us our sins, Lord, the areas where we have failed you. God, we confess those things as sin. We long for the day when you will sanctify us fully, when we will have the mind of Christ fully, where one day you will wipe away every tear and every pain, and we will worship you fully, Lord, in heaven. But until that day, we still walk through this difficult period, walk through this difficult time, continue to give us grace. We are your church. We're gathered together to lift the name of Jesus Christ high. We come to you with open hands and open hearts and open minds. Fill us today with your word, with your spirit. May we leave different than when we came. In Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Would you turn and shake somebody's hand? Give them a hug today. Say, hey, it's good to see you. Welcome to church. Good morning to you guys. It's good to see you. I want to welcome those of us watching online today. Can we uh, welcome our friends online today watching? We're glad you're here. Glad you've chosen to join us today. 
Uh, so we're going to be finishing up John chapter 9 today, and, and this has been a, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a big book, it's a, it's a thick, w- w- just with a lot of good meat in it. I don't know if you've realized that or not, but it took us a couple weeks just to get through the first couple verses. Last week we spent a significant amount of time talking and, and wrestling through the, um, the sovereignty of God, and I would really challenge you, encourage you, if you would, just to go back and listen to that if you didn't get a chance to join in with us. I pray that your small group discussions have been, have been really profitable, really fruitful for you. And, and today we're going to conclude this and we're going to walk through the passage I just read. But we're also going to read it through the lens of some of Paul's writings in Philippians and Galatians as well. Because, and, and I'm going to share some things that I've, I have shared before in different seasons and different times. But, but I try to kind of repurpose some of them for the purpose of today. Because as we're walking out of this question of why does God allow suffering... Why does God allow pain? Why do pain and evil exist in the world if God is so good? Um, I think that one of the things we have to talk about is what we did last week, which is a theological understanding or foundation of God's sovereignty. So we function from there. But then practically, we need to transition into some good steps for us. Practically, how do we apply that into our lives? And the most practical example of somebody who is suffering well to me, in my opinion, in Scripture is Paul, is the man Paul. And so some of these passages, prayerfully, are going to sound very familiar because hopefully they're things that you have heard before, walked through before, but we're going to put a little bit of a different spin on it today, and I hope that's okay. Um, but, but for us as a church, we know that we're a church that worships in spirit and in and any truth is good truth, and so we want to write these truths down. I want to jump into our small groups and expound on these. I keep telling people all the time, listen, if you are just here on Sunday, you are missing out on the meat of our church. The real conversations, the real relationships really take place in small groups all throughout the week, uh, all throughout our city. So I want to encourage you to be there. And, and so if, if you were to write down a topic for this sermon, it would be this, suffer well. Or, I came up with an alternative one, suffer to joy. So you can choose whichever one you like. I, you know, it's kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure. By the way, anybody love those books when you were a little kid? Remember that? Me, I'm the only one. You and me? Yes, you and me? All right. I always ended up dying in, like, my third choice, by the way. But, but I loved those books. So John chapter 9, we're, we're finishing up on the story where Jesus sees this man who's blind, he spits in some mud, makes this paste, covers the man's eyes, tells him to wash in a pool. The man comes back and now he can see. And Jesus being Jesus does what Jesus does, he kind of like disappears. And the Pharisees come and they question this man and they're like, who did this to you? And the man's like, I don't really know, right? And they're like, well, like, what can you tell us? And the man's like, I don't really know. And like, what do you mean? How can you not know? And the man says, literally, all I know is that I couldn't see, and now I can. All I know is that I used to be blind, and now I see. And they start giving this man kind of a difficult time. Do you notice that in the text? They're just questioning him over and over. And the man starts to put together like a theological argument against these very religiously elite He's like, well, clearly this man was from God because we know that, that only that God will, will, won't really speak or work through sinful men to accomplish his great works in the way that he just did. And so he says, so the very fact that I see is probably a demonstration that this man was sent from God. You see how that works? It's a very logical theological argument. 
And I love what the Pharisees tell the man. They're like, ah, get out of here. You're a sinner born from birth, so just leave us alone. That's what they say. And they kick the man out. They were operating on a presupposition, a theological presupposition that this man, when they said that he was born, he was utterly born a sinner, we've talked about this before, that they were, they were adhering to an old theological argument that you could, you could sin before you were born, hence why the man was born blind. Jesus put that to rest with his disciples, right? But then I love what happens in verse 35. Look at this. It says, Jesus heard that the man had been cast out, and he went and he found him. He went and he found him. How many of us, this is a side conversation, how many of us have ever been found by Jesus? You ever have a moment in your life where Jesus just came and found you? Now, now, now understand what I'm saying, okay? I understand as followers of Christ, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. God is never lost to us. What I'm more talking about is, is just more a metaphorical being found, a moment where Jesus found you in the midst of your suffering. You ever have those moments when you felt so desperate? I mean, if we're going to be real, let's be real. Have you ever had a moment when you just felt incredibly desperate for God, desperate for anything, desperate for his touch, desperate for his healing? Maybe not just physically, maybe emotionally. You know, in a church the size of ours, we have story after story after story of people who have been hurt. Hurt by friends, hurt by parents, hurt by divorce. Hurt by illness, hurt by death, hurt by loss of a child. And in those moments of desperation, nothing, how many of us can testify to this? Nothing brings peace. Not your favorite movie, not your favorite music. Yes, it might soothe your soul to a degree, but nothing can bring peace. Have you ever been in such a desperate situation that you search for peace and, and, and like a lifeboat anywhere, and yet you find nothing? Anybody here ever felt that way? God knows I have. When everywhere you turn and everyone you turn to lets you down or they can't say enough or they can't be around enough or love you enough and it just hurts. And then, praise God, Jesus finds you. And in those moments where Jesus finds you, in those moments where we open up his word and the Holy Spirit begins to minister to us, how many of us know that we can begin to be filled with a joy that overflows? In fact, scripture says it's a peace that, if you know this, say it with me now, that passes all, all understanding. It doesn't make sense how you can walk into a room, a broken man, with God's word, sit and open it up, have the Holy Spirit minister to you in such a way that when you leave that room, people say, what was in that room that made him so happy? What am I missing? And you're like, nothing. It's just that Jesus found me in my moment of weakness. Jesus found this man. It says he came to him, verse 35, and he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Which is to say, do you believe that I am God? Do you believe in God? He says, and who is he, sir, that I may believe? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. The most powerful words you could ever utter. Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Now, maybe the argument could be made, well, of course this man believed. Jesus just healed him. What about in times when we're not being healed? What about in times when we have questions? What about in times of suffering? 
Enter Paul. <laughs> Paul was a man, and you know this story to a degree, most of us probably. Paul was a man who, who executed, who, who, who murdered. Paul was a man who drug Christians out of their home and put them in court and separated them. Paul was not a good man. His name was Saul at the time. And Saul has an encounter with the risen Jesus. Jesus calls him to minister for him, and he converts his name to Paul. And Paul begins this legacy of the gospel. And in the process, he is, he is stoned, he is shipwrecked, he is beaten, he is, he is jailed so many times. And we see this letter that he wrote to his, writes, he wrote to his church. He writes to his church in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in, in Philippi, and it's called Philippians. And I want you to hear these words, and I pray that they would bring you some encouragement. Verse 12 in chapter 1, it says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Dude's in jail, and what he's saying is, my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having been confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy or rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter to do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that... In every way, pause, pause. Don't look at your Bibles, don't look at the screen. Look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. Don't look, look, don't cheat, watch. What we are about to read is some of the most important verbiage you could ever apply to your life out of Scripture, especially in our current day and age, okay? So I want you to take a deep breath, get ramp up a little bit of expectation, because what you're about to read, I promise, will be life-changing for you. Watch what he says here. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I, what? Rejoice. What does he take joy in? What is he rejoicing in? Dude is rotting in a prison. People want to kill him. They want him dead. And he says what? Christ is being proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Joy in suffering. How do you have joy in suffering? Now, I'm not talking about like fake joy, okay? We all know what that is. We've all been in church before. We know what fake joy is, right? We all know what it's like to go to church with a couple kids and our wife on the way. We fight all the way there. We're smiling, like reaching around, smacking the kids while we're driving. I mean, I don't do that, but I'm sure some of you all do. Um, and then we get out, and as soon as your feet hit the pavement, it's just smile ear to ear. And you know, you know, you know, have you ever walked with your mom when she held your hand when you were a little kid, and she's smiling, but she's saying things out of her mouth that don't really sound like they should be coming out of a smile? You know what I mean? Like, if you act up in church today, I'm going to kill you. You know what I mean? That kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Don't look at me like I'm bad. Come on. You look at me like I'm like judging me. You know exactly what I'm talking about. So I'm not talking about a false joy. I'm not, I'm not talking about creating an atmosphere where, where it feels like. I'm talking about real joy. 
I'm talking about a, an overwhelming type of joy that comes from the Holy Spirit and a knowledge that Christ is being proclaimed. And he says, yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will in turn, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death, for me, for to me... It, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Here is a man who understood that the purpose of his life was to bring honor and glory to God. That our very purpose, your very purpose, your highest purpose, apart from what you do, apart from who you marry, apart from, apart from what type of life you lead, the career decisions that you make, the finance, your highest purpose is to bring God glory. That is, and you say, well, how can that be? Why is that? Because God's highest purpose inside of himself is his glory. That is at the core of who he is, as we described last week. God exists, why? For himself, and out of himself flows his sovereignty, and out of his sovereignty flows his love and his grace and his mercy, which we are all benefactors of. Amen? Amen? So predominantly, my life should serve to bring God glory. And what you need to understand, and this is the first thing I really want you to write down, is that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. In other words, when I am completely satisfied in him, when I am completely satisfied by God, when I am completely satisfied because of God, God is most glorified in me. And it is out of this, this, this satisfaction and fulfillment through the Holy Spirit that I experience joy. Now, what do I mean by that? What does it mean that when God, God is most glorified, when I am most satisfied in him? It means this. Simply put, this is very simple. It's very complex to, to work out. But this, I should find the most derived joy in the fact that God knows me. That's it. I should find the most joy in the fact that God knows me. Now, this is a challenge because a lot of things make me feel good. I really like ice cream a lot. I don't know. I, I just do. There's certain, like certain flavors. Just, I, like, I like them all. I really do. Except pistachio. That's gross. No one likes that. Um, but apart from that, right? And so if I'm finding more joy in this experience than I'm getting from knowing my God, there's a problem. Are you following me? And the problem isn't with God. The problem isn't with the ice cream. The problem is with me. The problem is with myself. Maybe the problem is in my, not just my expectation, but in my view, my perception. Maybe I have forgotten what I have been saved from. How many of us know that we need to remember? Sometimes we need to go back and remember what God saved us from. Amen? Some of us are like, nah, man, I don't want to go back there. I get that. I get that. But sometimes it's important just to jog that, that memory, just to jog up that joy a little bit. We need to remember what we've been saved from, just how good God is. Galatians 5 teaches us that fruit, that joy is actually a fruit, so we can have it. 
Paul says like this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Joy is a fruit, and that fruit comes from the Holy Spirit. And this is important for us to understand because sometimes we're like, I feel like I'm filled with a lot of things today, right? But joy is not one of them. I feel like I've had more conversations in the last year to two years with people saying, I feel like I'm filled with anxiety. I feel like I'm filled with worry. I feel like I'm filled with doubt. I feel like I'm filled with fear. And I just want to say, why are we not being filled with joy? Why are we not choosing joy? Now, I'm going to be loud here for a minute, and I'm going to be loud because I love you, and I'm going to be loud because the world is being awfully loud right now. So I'm going to have to be a little bit loud to kind of counteract how loud we have been allowing the world to be in our lives. You say, well, how am I allowing the world to be loud? Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, the news, every single conversation you have with everybody about anything. We are allowing the world to be louder, and it is overriding the joy that should be welling up inside of us. Amen. Do you hear me this morning? And so what I want you to know is this. When you back off of the word, when you back off of prayer, when you back out of community, when you back out of small groups, when you back out of studying, when you back out of learning, what you're allowing the world to do is have a voice that is louder than the voice of God. And you wonder... Why am I filled with worry? Why am I filled with doubt? Why am I filled with anxiety? Why am I filled? Yet every single opportunity, you allow the world to speak into your life. And I tell you that here is the testimony of a man who is sitting in prison with people wanting to kill him, some even his own. And he's saying, I'm filled with joy. If I live, it's good. If I die, it's all right. If I'm beaten, it'll serve to preach better for the cause of Christ, and in that I rejoice. Let me just ask you a question. Family, has God changed? Has God changed at all? I want you to know the same God that was ministering to Paul the same Jesus that Paul is speaking of in prison is the same God, is the same Jesus that dwells with us right here today. Anybody here this morning? The same Holy Spirit that filled Paul in this prison is the same Holy Spirit that fills you in your chest. And even for those of you who are children, those of you who are kids, there is no Holy Spirit junior. There is just the Holy Spirit. There is just God the Father. There is just Jesus Christ. And when he takes a hold of you, when he meets you in your suffering, we should have uh, incredible joy. Two points I want you to write down. Practical. We've shared them before, but they're incredibly important. How can we implement said joy? Well, clearly, time in the Word, time in prayer, time in biblical community. But here's two points. Number one, when Christ becomes more valuable than anything this life can give, you will experience joy. When Christ becomes more valuable than anything this life can give, you will experience incredible joy. Also, when Christ becomes more valuable than anything this life can take, you will experience incredible joy. Can I just repeat those for us today? 
When Christ becomes more valuable than anything this life can give, you say, what do you mean? Let's go through it. How about money? How about a home? How about a car? How about a boat? How about your looks? How about your hair? Some of you are like, I wish I had the, you know, I get it. But if you're experiencing more joy from what this life can give to you than what Jesus can give, you will never experience the full joy of God that you were intended to, to have. Also, when Christ becomes more valuable than anything this life can take, what can, and I say this so often, I say this so often, church, but what can this, this life actually take from us? What can this life take from us? Your life? Your life? I understand that. I understand that this life could take your life. But as a follower of Jesus, and I need you to hear me, please tune into this. I know I'm a little intense today, but you've got to hear me on this. I want you to hear me, okay? Even if this world takes your life, it cannot take Jesus from you. Even if this life takes your life, it cannot take Jesus from you. Do not allow this life to intimidate you. Do not allow this life to hold you down. Do not allow this life to scare you. Your hope is not found in this world. Your hope is not found in what this world can give you. This world, this, your hope is not found in what this world can take from you. Your hope is found, your joy is found in the man Christ Jesus. And until we allow that voice to speak louder into us than what this world is trying to speak, we will only experience what we are continuing to experience, which is anxiety, which is fear over tomorrow, which is who is in control and what is going to happen and my 401k and my government and my friends and my school and what's going to happen. I understand. We're all walking through questions. We're all walking through what is going to take place and what is going to happen and how is this going to look for my kids. We all have those. Those are all problems. It's not, I'm not saying it's not a problem. That's a problem. I'm just saying there's a greater truth than that problem. And the greater truth is we only got to work on it for a while. Because after a while, it ain't my problem no more. I'm a child of God. And either he is in control or he is not. I choose to believe that he is. I choose to believe that he's called me. I choose to believe that he loves me. I choose to believe that he has a plan for my life informed by his word. And because I choose to believe that, because I trust him, I can be filled with joy, which means this, just like Paul, I can suffer well. Anybody with me? I can suffer well, yes, this world will have pain, will have affliction, but it is light and momentary to the fact that one day I will spend eternity with God. Let today serve as a reminder that the joy that God gives is greater than anything this world can give. The joy that God gives is greater than anything this life can take. And until Christ becomes more valuable than anything this life can give or take, joy will always be elusive. Always. Do not allow joy to be elusive in your life. Do you hear me, young man? Do not allow the joy of Jesus Christ to be elusive in your life. Do you hear me this morning, church? Don't allow it. 
Don't allow this world to be a vampire and steal your joy and suck you dry. You are better than that. You're a child of the King. Jesus Christ died for you. He reached into the grave for you. He brought you up to life. He has plans for you, plans to prosper you, plans to make you great for the cause of Christ. Just bow your heads, close your eyes for a moment today. With our eyes closed and our heads bowed, I wonder if today has hit a nerve for some of us. I know for me it does, which means for at least some of us it probably does as well. And I want to invite you today to lay your cares down at the cross of Jesus Christ. If you feel that you have been overwhelmed by worry, if you feel that you have been overwhelmed by doubt, if you feel that you have been overwhelmed with fear, my friend, today is the day for you to lay those fears, anxieties, and worries at the foot of the cross. I invite you now to lay them down at his feet. And you say, Travis, I don't know that I have it in me. I don't know that I have it in me to lay these things down. That is fine. Scripture tells us that we ourselves cannot cast our anxieties, but rather when we realize, come to the realization that God is who he says he is and we are not God. When we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, he will cast our cares on Christ. Why? Because he cares for us. My friend, you don't even have to throw your cares. God will do that for you. All you must do is come to the realization that God is in control and that will allow him to take your burdens from you. Can we, as a church family, come to that realization? Can we come to the realization that God is in control? Eyes closed, heads bowed, no one looking around. Take a moment now. Surrender those doubts, those worries, those hurts, those pains, those fears, those anxieties to God. God, I can't carry them anymore. God, I don't want it anymore. God, I can't do this anymore. Jesus, you're going to have to do it for me. Holy Spirit, you're going to have to do a work in me. You're going to have to bring me that peace. You're going to have to bring me that joy because I don't have it in me. And allow him to work and move in your life. Right now, eyes closed, heads bowed, no one looking around. Have a moment of silence while we interact with our God right now.